Hi, everybody. Cheryl Ackeson here. Welcome to another edition of the Cheryl Ackeson podcast on justthenews.com. I hope you'll check out all the Just the News podcasts. You can go to justthenews.com and see the list of them on the homepage or wherever you like to listen. A reminder that it's time to pre-order my new book, Slanted, How the News Media Taught Us to Love Censorship and Hate Journalism. It's out November 24th, but you can pre-order anywhere now. Today, we are going to talk about a longtime trend involving federal officials and suspiciously, conveniently missing documents, a trend that seems to rarely get punished. Today, we're going to talk about missing documents. And I know you're thinking maybe what I've been thinking as we hear about federal agencies and federal agents who have things like cell phones that are mysteriously and suspiciously wiped free of evidence and things like that, and nothing really ever seems to happen to them. We hear about these losses of data, and then the most innocent explanation seems to be accepted with law enforcement authorities throwing up their hands and saying, well, we can't really prove any ill intent, although... I think those of us in the general public know what to think about it when information and material like this continually disappears. We're going to talk about how often this has happened in the past. I think it tells us a lot about why it continues to happen. It's sort of history repeating itself, and I liken it to the whole intelligence abuse scandal from 2016. I think that happened in part because previous intelligence abuse scandals and incidents that we became aware of over the years, over the decades really, went largely unpunished. So how would one expect things would change? Why would we think anything would be different if the bad actors who do these sorts of things get away with it, and even the honest people inside these organizations and federal agencies who may want to blow the whistle on it or tell the truth, well, they see nothing seems to happen to the ones who allegedly violate the law and or violate policies and practices. It's explained away. It's accepted. So why should the honest people come forward and talk about it or blow the whistle? Only bad things will happen to them. Most recently, word came out about those dozens of conveniently wiped cell phones belonging to government officials who were the ones on special counsel Robert Mueller's team, the ones who investigated the false theory that Trump and his campaign colluded with Russian President Vladimir Putin. As you know well by now, after a lengthy investigation, Robert Mueller's team, even though it included many Trump enemies, found no evidence that Trump or anyone on his campaign colluded with Russia, despite what intelligence people had been saying publicly, people like Brennan and Clapper, for the last couple of years, claiming mistakenly including Congressman Adam Schiff, that there was all kinds of evidence of these crimes that, according to Robert Mueller and his team and Trump's enemies in the end, never happened. And remember, they wiretapped a Trump associate, Carter Page. We've gone over that before, and I've written about that in my new book, Slanted, by the way, in detail. The wiretaps of Carter Page, now everybody agrees, including Department of Justice and those who signed off on the wiretaps, They were 
gathered under false pretenses. They were improper. The FBI didn't have the correct documentation. The Woods procedures weren't followed. An FBI attorney doctored a document and so on and so on. Carter Page has never gotten an apology, by the way, but these wiretaps allowed them to look into or peer into his documents and communications, as well as those he communicated with, and as well as the people who communicated with those people, as they say, two hops away, which would have, if you follow the trail, included President Trump. So it's certainly reasonable to believe that these bad actors and intel agencies had very much in mind the idea of getting directly to President Trump himself and or those around him, when they successfully found somebody fairly close to wiretap, being Carter Page. And although that was inappropriate, again, Carter Page has received no apologies or no redress for all of these violations and his ruined reputation. Meantime, the bad actors, or the allegedly bad actors, who were on the Mueller team and had no curiosity when they decided there was not evidence of Trump-Russia collusion, had no curiosity about who had furthered those false narratives and was there an operation going on against a political campaign and was all of this improper. They weren't curious about any of that, the trail that really should have been followed, the one that actually is netting some sort of results. Well, the fact of the wipings, by the way, of these phones, of the Mueller team folks, wasn't unearthed by law enforcement. It wasn't unearthed by any official investigative body. It came as part of a private lawsuit filed by the conservative watchdog Judicial Watch. Judicial Watch, by the way, it is a conservative watchdog, but I don't think there's any group that has had any better success or anywhere close to the success that Judicial Watch has had, prying public documents from the greedy hands of the government, even when it's a Republican administration. So under both Democrats and Republicans, neither party holds a total monopoly on this behavior, which may explain why it so often goes unpunished. Maybe both sides do it and are in it together and too quick to accept each other's excuses. The phones might have contained revealing evidence about official misconduct or even crimes by Department of Justice and FBI officials. And you know, there's no indication that anybody else besides Judicial Watch cared to get to the bottom of the missing evidence, which was known by some, including the inspector general who was looking into this, and the disappearance of the evidence was blamed, according on documentation, on a variety of excuses such as, wow, a bunch of government agents happened to suddenly enter a bunch of incorrect passwords too many times, causing the phones to delete their content. Now, among the general public, we hear stuff like that and the convenient disappearance of information, not the first time, by the way, in this case, it just doesn't pass the smell test. And I think it's legitimate that one would reasonably theorize that those whose work phones were wiped prefer taking a PR hit for that, having the phones be wiped and having us speculate as to why and how it happened, than having anyone actually examine any secrets the phones may have held. And if history is a guide, they are right to believe that they would face little repercussion if they allegedly improperly destroyed data and evidence because there's been little to no accountability in past high-profile cases of curiously lost or missing government records. 
As I mentioned, the phenomenon is not confined to one party, and I made a list of some high-profile examples that I found and have looked at over the years that I know you're going to be mad about when you hear them, and particularly when you think about how egregious some of these violations are and the notion that this behavior, the most innocent explanation was accepted and or it went unpunished. Before we go further back in time, I want to talk about, I think, the most outrageous case that comes to my mind in 2014. I spoke with a former Deputy Assistant Secretary of State named Raymond Maxwell. This is an official who worked under President Obama, actually voted for President Obama, worked under Secretary of State Hillary Clinton, but nonetheless, and I reported this at the time, gave me a shocking account of what he said were government officials sorting Benghazi-related documents in the basement of the State Department on a weekend. Maxwell told me at the time that he first caught wind of the document sorting operation from an employee who technically worked for him, but nobody had told him ahead of time. She was assigned, he heard, to come in on the weekend and help with this operation. And when he asked her about it, she acknowledged it, and he decided to mosey on over there on the weekend to see what was going on. And the way he described it when he entered the basement on the weekend and saw stacks of documents, boxes, people working, sorting through, separating damaging material, anything he was told that could embarrass the seventh floor, which means the Hillary Clinton officials and the Secretary of State. And Maxwell alleged as part of this story that the people sorting documents, people who stopped by, were supervising, looking in on it and whatnot, included Hillary Clinton's chief of staff, Cheryl Mills, and another one of her helpers, Jake Sullivan. Maxwell says they were there on site, part of the operation to separate damaging material before any of it was turned over to that accountability review board. The accountability review board and Congress had asked for documents. They were investigating security lapses surrounding the September 11th, 2012 Benghazi terrorist attacks on the U.S. mission in Libya. Well, all that document sorting going on, no reason to doubt Maxwell. He had a lot of detail. I asked Cheryl Mills and Jake Sullivan for comment. They had no comment. I asked the State Department. They had no comment. But what's most surprising, after this credible figure who worked at the State Department, Raymond Maxwell, stepped forward with this really shocking information, very specific, and there would have been video surveillance tapes at the time showing people coming and going, presumably key card entries that could document and confirm some of this. Guess what? No law enforcement body to this day ever interviewed Maxwell or checked out his claims. Nobody seemed to care about this alleged egregious abuse of the document system. And it wasn't the first time that Cheryl Mills, who again declined comment on the story, was named in a document disappearing operation. We're going to go back now to the mid-1990s when Cheryl Mills was a deputy White House counsel to President Clinton. That's when a woman named Sonia Gilliam, a now-retired Commerce Department official under President Clinton, she told me that back then Mills was coordinating an effort to be very evasive in responses to document demands that began 
around 1994. A lot of documents were under demand by members of the public and press through freedom of information requests. There were document demands from Congress, grand juries, and others. And Gilliam says she was supposed to process some of those, but something kept getting in the way, and she was finally told that Mills was coordinating an effort from the White House to, in essence, make sure certain information was turned over and other information was not. So decades before the document sorting session in the basement of the State Department, there was this going on back in 1994. How about 1996? In court filings, there are accounts of what's called a, quote, flurry of document shredding in the Commerce Secretary's office, taking place after the death of Commerce Secretary Ron Brown and 34 others in a plane crash. If you're too young or weren't following the news at this time, big news back in 1996, because at the time, Clinton's Commerce Secretary Ron Brown was under investigation at the time of his death under an independent counsel's investigation for alleged corruption. Uh, There were accusations including things like he had been selling trips, sort of trade deal trips to companies for money, selling seats on planes and these trips to other countries. And Brown, right before his death in the plane crash, had just been served a notice to testify in this corruption case. Well, there was a flurry of document destruction, according to court records, And it continued for years in this case. And there was a 1998 federal court ruling by District Judge Royce Lamberth, where he likened the behavior of the Commerce Department officials to con artists and hooligans. In fact, according to these court documents, he found that these Commerce Department officials, and I quote, wrongfully withheld documents, destroyed documents, and removed or allowed the removal of others, all with the apparent intention of thwarting the FOIA and court orders. Pretty bad stuff. Then in 1997, there's a separate case involving missing documents that was brought against the FBI. And the same judge, Judge Lamberth, found, he said, no obstruction or conspiracy, yet referred to Cheryl Mills' conduct as a White House official at the time, calling it loathsome blaming her for what he called the most critical error in this entire fiasco. He said she learned of some missing White House emails, but did not take proper steps to resolve the situation. So you see Cheryl Mills's name has come up over and over again over the years in connection with missing documents. We'll be back with more of the missing documents over the years right after a short break. We're back. I told you this was a bipartisan issue, so we'll get to the Bush years in just a minute. But first, we're going to continue on with some of the Clinton years. In 1998, according to reports and documents, Hillary Clinton ordered the destruction of records relating to her legal representation of Jim McDougal's Madison SNL. That's according to congressional investigators. And The destruction order was allegedly made when federal regulators were investigating the insolvency of the Clinton-related Arkansas savings and loan. The Clintons denied any improper conduct. In 1993, if you've been around a while, you remember the reported suicide 
of White House Deputy Counsel Vincent Foster, a Hillary Clinton confidant, someone who worked under President Clinton at the time, was said to have committed suicide. And there was a big scandal because records were removed from the office of Foster the night of his suicide, although that's not supposed to happen. In fact, from what I understood at the time, the Secret Service was supposed to rope off the crime scene. Nothing was supposed to be touched or moved, but all kinds of touching and moving took place. In fact, it was later documented that Hillary Clinton's chief of staff, Maggie Williams, removed records from the office. And as an aside, I was reporting at CBS News back then, the records, certain files involving a Whitewater controversy or scandal that Vincent Foster had helped handle for the Clintons, disappeared and then turned up a couple of days later. Supposedly, in their original form, we were supposed to believe nothing had been changed or removed or tampered with. The records were returned, should never have been taken in the first place. And at the time, a lawyer who was hired by the Clintons to sort of I'll say spin the press on this issue, came to CBS News, and I assume he did this to other news organizations as well, and was offered a meeting with us as correspondents and producers. And at this meeting, we all sat around a conference table, and this man produced the Whitewater file and said, here's the file that had been removed from the White House that was returned. Nothing suspicious about it. You can look at it. You can look in the file and see that nothing was removed and nothing strange in there. And the file was passed around the table, and we producers and correspondents looked through it, and everybody kind of nodded their head and said, yes, yes, nothing suspicious here. And I felt like I was in the twilight zone because I was the only one that asked the question of this attorney. I said, but you're representing this as the file that was taken. We have no way to know, and in fact, I asked him, you have no way to know, do you, whether this is how the file was when it was taken, whether this is the form that it was in, whether documents were removed? And he actually, to his credit, replied that, yes, uh, he had no way to know whether this file that he was representing as the original file and trying to show it to us as if it proved nothing had been tampered with, he said he had no way to know the fact of that matter. I don't know. I just thought that was an interesting aside. Also in 1993, regarding the Foster suicide, the White House originally claimed that no suicide note had been found. And they issued actually a press announcement that said there was no suicide note. However, the White House counsel, Nussbaum, later turned over a suicide note to Attorney General Janet Reno, claiming that, yes, it had been discovered 24 hours earlier. So I guess we're to believe a note was found, it was denied, it was held onto, and then it was turned over in some form later. Then in 1996, the White House reported finding copies of documents that had been missing from Hillary Rodham Clinton's law firm, describing her work for Madison Savings and Loan in the 1980s. This is a set of records that the White House had previously said it did not have, but then turned up many years later, at least copies of them. In 2002, we're going to move to the Bush administration now, more than 25,000 documents were said to be missing from records released about internal deliberations that took place 
between Vice President Dick Cheney's Energy Task Force and industry executives. So this is just a a ton, a treasure trove of documents missing. And that was according to and uncovered by the conservative watchdog group Judicial Watch, I mentioned earlier, which seemed to think that the missing documents might have been related to the Enron energy scandal and that someone might have tried to get rid of information in there. In 2003, maybe you heard about this one. I just, it's hard to get over this one. Former Clinton National Security Advisor Sandy Berger smuggled classified documents related to the 9-11 terrorist attacks from the National Archives. Berger said he removed handwritten notes in files by hiding them in his jacket, pants, and socks. And he also took copies of some classified documents, although he said that part was inadvertent. There is security video of him leaving. I'm not sure you know, other than later he admitted it, but I'm not sure you can see that he had hidden hidden these things in his jacket, pants, and socks, but this is what he did. He was ultimately, he actually did get punishment, but his punishment was probation and community service. So apparently you can steal, improperly steal and take documents that may be embarrassing or sensitive to somebody, including classified documents. You can claim that you took the classified documents by accident, and you can get away with just sort of a slap on the wrist. In 2004, Bush critics said that key documents were missing from newly declassified White House materials regarding torture and other mistreatment of prisoners, documents that should have been in the bundle, including memos to and from the FBI and CIA and documents dated after April 2003. Then in 2005, Bush administration officials told Congress that they could not find something Congress wanted to see, a transcript of an August 29th video conference call about Hurricane Katrina. The Congress was questioning some of the response to Hurricane Katrina at the time, but again, this transcript of a critical video conference call was said to be missing. I believe it turned up later. Also in 2005, how about this? The White House said that up to 5 million emails had not been properly archived and saved. Five million. Now, as an aside, there are strict protocols for saving public documents of all kinds, including things are supposed to be backed up daily from your phone, from your computer. We've learned in practice this almost never happens, and public officials sort of cry ignorance. Even though they go through all kinds of policies and they sign letters and they go through training, They tend to claim when these things are missing that they just didn't know better or the stuff was just lost through technical snafus, even though, again, there are strict processes designed to make sure that doesn't happen. And I think if you or I were supposed to maintain records and the IRS demanded them or someone in the investigation of a crime demanded certain records we were supposed to keep, I just don't think we would be allowed to throw up our hands and say, oops, We didn't really understand what the policy said, or we didn't quite follow the policy, but it was just an accident. But anyway, in 2005, the 5 million emails were dated from January 3rd, 2003 to July 28th, 2005. And why is that time period important? Because in 2006, Special Counsel Patrick Fitzgerald found that missing emails from the 2003 period, the White House missing emails, 
could be relevant to a criminal probe being conducted into influence peddling by the infamous lobbyist Jack Abramoff, who was later convicted of bribery and corruption. It seems like a lot of times when these documents are missing, they're very key to some criminal investigation or embarrassing incident. They're usually not just sort of innocent emails nobody cares about. In 2007, it was revealed that 88 White House officials were using Republican National Committee email accounts. Why is that a problem? Well, it's sort of another version of Hillary Clinton and others using private servers for their government business. These records must be preserved, but when you use some sort of outside server or email accounts, then nobody knows whether they're preserved or not. They're less accessible. And the RNC, the Republican National Committee, apparently preserved none of the emails for 51 of those officials who used the RNC email accounts. Also in 2007, the Pentagon said that it had lost a crucial recording of an al-Qaeda operative being interrogated in a U.S. military brig. And then there was the big Fast and Furious story in 2012. Worth kind of summarizing that, Fast and Furious was the secretive federal operation that allowed assault rifles and other weapons, thousands of them, to go into the hands of Mexican drug cartels, to be trafficked into Mexico under the watchful eye of our federal agents. And at the time when I first uncovered that story, of course, the government denied all of it. And then when I actually got, maybe this was unprecedented, a sitting federal agent, part of the operation, on camera by identity, saying what he did do. The government had to admit it was true, but then they said next, well, this was an isolated operation by rogue agents in Arizona with ATF, had nothing to do with headquarters or Washington, D.C. And then, of course, when the investigation continued and I learned that it did involve ATF headquarters in Washington, D.C., the next excuse the government gave was, well, Maybe it involved the ATF headquarters, but certainly not the Department of Justice, which is over ATF. And then when it became clear that, yes, the Department of Justice knew about it, in fact, Lanny Brewer had approved a criminal wiretap with the Department of Justice in the case and would have read all about the controversial tactics being used, then Lanny Brewer claimed he never read the wiretaps that he signed, so I'm not sure why these officials always have this oversight authority, then claim they never actually did any oversight. But then they said, well, maybe Department of Justice did have their hand in it, but certainly not Attorney General Eric Holder. And then when I showed through documentation that Eric Holder was repeatedly briefed over and over again on Fast and Furious, Eric Holder's office said, well, but Eric never read any of the briefings, but certainly the White House never knew anything about it. And then when we were able to have documents proving that the White House discussed and knew about elements of Fast and Furious, that's when Attorney General Eric Holder withheld emails and President Obama invoked executive privilege to prevent a lot of emails from being turned over to Congress under subpoena and a lot of things from the press ever seeing. So interesting how all that works. 2014, it turns out, was a big year for missing government documents. I found a number of big cases. It was revealed that the State Department may have lost track of some $6 billion 
because of incomplete or missing contract records over a six-year period, mainly during Hillary Clinton's tenure as Secretary of State. Lost track of some $6 billion. Now, some in the media who tend to write to protect anything that seems to criticize Democrats said, well, $6 billion was not lost. That's misreporting. $6 billion was not wasted. $6 billion was not missing. So I'm just saying they lost track of it. And if you lost track of it, it may as well be missing because if you don't know where it is or where it went, that's, that's a $6 billion problem. Also, the IRS in 2014 claimed it had lost 30,000 key emails sent or received by Lois Lerner, an IRS employee and other officials, regarding that scandal where the IRS improperly targeted conservative nonprofit groups to try to make sure they couldn't get certain status that could be used where they could do their conservative advocacy during an election. And as luck would have it, there's supposed to be always backups of these things, as I mentioned, but boy, 422 backup tapes containing these missing 30,000 emails, they were also, guess what, inadvertently destroyed. Additionally, in 2014, the Obama administration told Congress that records Congress sought in their investigation of ObamacareHealthCare.gov, the ill-fated website that was so much trouble when it was first started, that those records were missing. And in 2014, the EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency, told Congress it was just having a lot of darn trouble finding emails that related to a probe into the environmental impact of a proposed gold and copper mine in the Bristol Bay watershed in Alaska. The EPA also had some other document issues in 2014. A federal judge said that the EPA willfully failed to keep emails and other records relevant to a FOIA request regarding the delay of some unpopular regulations until after the 2012 election. The allegation was some regulations were going to go into effect, but that there was some sort of order to not implement them until after the 2012 election. But guess what? No emails were preserved. And that's contrary to public records, laws, and policies. Also in 2014, the EPA said that it didn't save text messages that were at issue in a FOIA case that had to do with the EPA's plans to crack down on coal power plants. An EPA spokesman simply said he felt federal law didn't require the messages to be retained. And then in 2014, the last big hit of that year that we're going to highlight, the FBI reported that a top aide to Hillary Clinton directed that an archive of emails be deleted, even though they were required to be preserved as government and public records. These deletions happened after congressional investigators issued a document preservation order, and an employee actually used a program called BleachBit to delete the files that were under subpoena. In the same case, in 2015, the next year, Clinton's lawyer notified Congress that Clinton had deleted 30,000 work-related emails that were under congressional subpoena, and an aide to the Clintons actually told the FBI in an interview that he destroyed some of Hillary Clinton's old mobile devices by breaking them in half or hitting them with a hammer. Hey, who doesn't do that with their old mobile devices? Clinton explained that any emails she destroyed 
She didn't think she had to keep, even though they were under subpoena, because they involved personal matters like yoga and her daughter's wedding. Then we're going to go to 2018 and the Mueller investigation and the Trump-Russia probe. It was discovered that key text messages between those two FBI agents, allegedly lovers Peter Strzok and Lisa Page, key text messages between them and the FBI's slanted probe of Trump-Russia collusion were said to have been accidentally wiped. Now, the inspector general later recovered some of those messages and what was in them. Well, the messages revealed discussions about how much they hated then-candidate Donald Trump and his supporters, how much they wanted Hillary Clinton to get elected. They talked about, in these text messages that were originally lost, they talked about ways to keep Trump from getting elected. They talked about getting an insurance policy in case he got elected anyway. And as far as I know, the explanation that the FBI just accidentally deleted a bunch of text messages, that was accepted. Nobody was ever held accountable. At least there was no public announcement that that really bothered anybody, that those messages were lost in the first place, and that the FBI claimed not to have the technical capabilities to find them, although the inspector general did find some of them. In 2020, It was reported that the FBI's original summary of the agent's 2017 interview with Trump National Security Advisor Lieutenant General Michael Flynn was missing. So again, the original summary of this controversial interview with Michael Flynn, who was working for the Trump administration, it's missing. And why would that be missing? Well, the FBI is under a lot of criticism now for what they really thought at the time. And was there really a pretense to interview Flynn or were they just looking for, as some handwritten notes indicated that were later uncovered, were they just looking for an excuse to try to get Flynn fired and get him out of their business? Also in 2020, the FDA and the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services, they claimed that documents relevant to a really big criminal scandal had been corrupted in a faulty email storage system. And then this one, I know you remember, after the prison death of convicted sex offender Jeffrey Epstein, federal prosecutors told a judge that video of guards finding Epstein no longer existed. Yes, you know there's cameras in these prisons and jail cells, but the video was nowhere to be found after Epstein's death. Then they also said the backup video didn't exist as a result of technical errors, And separately, they reported that video of the cell exterior where Epstein tried to commit suicide weeks before, well, that was also lost. So these are, I'm sure, not a comprehensive list of missing and suspiciously gone documents over the years, but just highlighting those in the past two decades or so, it's easy to see that the problem is neither new nor rare. And I think it explains why Until people are held responsible, we can only expect more of the same. The news as we once knew it no longer exists. It's become a product molded and shaped to suit the narrative. Facts that don't fit are omitted. Off-narrative people and views are controversialized or neatly deposited down the memory hole. 
partisan pundits, analysts, and anonymous sources fill news space, leaving little room for facts. The line between opinion and fact has disappeared. In my new book, Slanted, I reveal the struggles inside newsrooms where journalism used to rule. For the first time, dozens of current and former top national news executives, producers, and reporters are giving insider accounts in Slanted, speaking with shocking candor about our industry's devolution. Support independent journalism. Fight against control of your information. Pre-order Slanted anywhere today. I hope you enjoy today's podcast. Check out justthenews.com. And don't forget to subscribe to the Cheryl Ackeson podcast, as well as my other podcast, Full Measure After Hours, and all the Just the News podcasts wherever you like to listen. Share them with your friends and leave a good review. Until next time, do your own research, make up your own mind, think for yourself.